Hello and welcome to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show we have Greg Fernstein, a thinker and writer on political science. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus. Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. Today on the show, we have Greg Ferenstein. So, so Greg, and we've, we've known each other for a while. And you are a you are an interesting person in that you are pretty much you're pretty much living. Did you say that about all your friends, Biggs? You're you're a particularly interesting person, particularly interesting. That's one of the tricks. That's why that's why I'm doing this. So you're you, for as long as I've known you, you've been you've been living in the future in very various ways. You've mm-hmm. been doing strange exercises. You've been eating uh, local blueberries. You've been uh, being contrarian on the internet, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to have a wide-ranging conversation. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for anything you ask of me, Biggs. Okay. So tell, tell everybody what you do, what, where you're doing it now, and, and, and all the good, important stuff about uh, Greg. Well, um, so just to give the internet a little bit of background, um, Biggs and I <laughs> were, were, were colleagues at this tech blog called TechCrunch yes. for a few years. We first met in Vegas um, under completely innocent circumstances. Was it Vegas or was it South by Southwest? I'm pretty sure it was Vegas. Where did we meet? I want to say South by Southwest, but keep going. Well, okay, either way. Either way. Um, and then we went to work at this, this tech blog and that's where I cut my journalist chops, um, writing about tech policy, you know, like immigration reform and the rest of it. And keep in mind back in this day, I remember my first couple of blog posts for TechCrunch. People were, were so angry that I would write about politics on TechCrunch. Uh-huh. The idea that tech and politics were even a thing. I got trolled every day for like a month. And I was like, listen, guys, hey, maybe tech, maybe tech and politics is going to be a thing one day. Um, and you're right. Um, and, and then it kind of blew up because tech and politics collided. Um, and I left in 2014. Uh, I started my own syndicated wire experiment where my kind of column and news would go out to places like the Washington Post and Fast Company and TechCrunch and, and others. Then I wrote a book about technology and politics. Um, analyzing the unique political ideology of Silicon Valley. Um, and then I basically quit journalism after the election. And now I'm working on a uh, not-so-public uh, uh, policy think tank. Okay, that's cool. I, can, I, can I go work for the think tank? What do we have to do for the think tank? Well, first it has to make money. I mean, if you want it for free, then yes. What do we got, what do we got to think about? <laughs> we got to think about the future, Big Z. Okay, perfect. So I got, I got a bunch of podcasts we can use. All right, so here we go. So let's go through. There's there's a few there's a few things that, that we can unpack here. Uh, first off, let's talk a little bit about the the collision of politics and technology. Uh, we didn't see this, right? What we are seeing now in the world is technology 
made flesh. It's an incarnation of technology in that the things that are happening on the internet have direct and important uh, impact on real life. Much in the way that Nixon versus JFK back in the old days, the things that happen on TV had a direct and real effect on, on real life, right? Um, I mean, I guess. I mean, it, look, information technology has impacted politics since writing was invented in Babylonia. Um, I mean, it's... I don't think it, I don't think it happened as as vividly as it did in this last cycle. Well, I mean, I mean, to get a little nerdy on you, I mean, if you look at what writing writing basically allowed um, the creation of democracy in ancient Greece, it's what allowed a codified law to be extended to disparate communities and for them to have an input on it in large meetings. Um, so, I mean, differences in technology have always affected politics and created opportunities um, for new groups to be engaged in new ways. What we saw over the last couple presidential cycles is just this. The Internet helped create Barack Obama, an outsider, a political outsider, which never would have had access to the resources or the TV um, had he not been able to get an equivalent online in either crowdfunded donations or social media. The same effect happened with Trump, where you had a, an otherwise marginalized group of people, in this case, the alt-right, um, and they powered his campaign in the early days, got him, then he got a whole bunch of TV press, and now he's president. Okay. So what does... So, so you think this actually happened, this actually started at Obama. And I think, I guess we all missed it, right? I think, I think what you're saying is that, is that we missed that situation as soon as, as when as Obama was coming in, he basically got the same thing that Bernie got, uh, this sort of groundswell of popular support, but not from, uh, not from his, but from a more general, uh, crowd as well. Right. I... I, the, the general thing that I think democracy does, or I think technology does, is it democratizes things. It gives people access to information and to share their ideas. It is relatively neutral in who it empowers. In 2008, it empowered a relatively educated, relatively optimistic, somewhat outsider group of people to select uh, Obama. Mm -hmm. In 2016, the people that had been most repressed and been most active on, on the Internet, we saw them in the form of trolls and other alt-right uh, media organizations, were the, were the people who were fans of Trump. So what the Internet does is it has democratized America. What we, the, the things we don't like what's happening right now are things we just don't like about democracy. Yeah, of course. That that's that 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 goes back to the uh, uh, Tocqueville stuff, where the well, I mean, the electoral electoral college was originally designed to to ensure that the the rabble wouldn't be able to pick like some kind of uh, like a like a I don't know a goat dressed like a human as president, right? Well, I think he's more of a Cheeto, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm saying back in the old days. I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming that back in the uh, back in the 1700s there there could be a, an entire party dedicated to uh, dedicated to having your have a goat dressed as a human. So, all right, I I get that. So actually, what we are what we are experiencing, you're saying, is the true 
democratization of democracy. It allows everyone, no matter their uh, race, creed, color, uh, position in life, status, salary, etc., to have a say. And when that happens, weird things occur, things yes. that were unexpected. This was the fun thing about the the whole episode of, I mean, we kind of saw this in the beginning with like trolling on the internet. You know, everyone was freaked out. They're like, why are these all these trolls everywhere? Mm-hmm. And we just thought it was these people who held these, what we considered at the time, abhorrent beliefs. Um, and we thought they were just this loud minority. It turned out that the reason they were so prevalent is because they existed in a massive chunk of the population, perhaps even a majority of voters. The trolls existed in a majority of voters. They were representative. Okay. Do you believe that that was true, or do you believe that this is a fluke in this case? I think for a long time there was there were many beliefs that were widely held in America that were suppressed by a political class. Um, that is newspaper editors, what we were on the, you know, as, as media editors, sure. um, the political establishment. Um, I think that is no longer the case. Well, I mean, obviously, like, so, so we were talking earlier about Breitbart. This is something that, that you've commit, you've contributed to, and I've actually added this to my daily, daily downloads. So I can actually under, try to read and understand this and what this looks like. It basically, it looks like Vox or it looks like, uh, the Verge, or Mashable with just a little bit more outright racism in the comments section. Everything else is fairly normal. Like you got like you got picture you got <laughs> except for the, everything else is fairly normal. Except like I mean, there, I'm looking at the site right now, and in, in this this I hope I hope we're going somewhere, but I guess we're not. Uh, there's the hardware issues in the switch launch. That's an exciting that's an exciting piece of news. It's on Breitbart, and it and it's 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 four five paragraphs six paragraphs there's a line here that says, and no, putting it in your butt doesn't help, which is interesting. And then you have 45 comments underneath. And that's, and, that's pretty small for Breitbart standards. I know it's very, very small because it's, because it's a Nintendo switch. Okay. Um, and I'm looking very carefully. There's nothing. Well, oh, the Russians hacked it. Big, it's the CIA. Big, so big, we can talk about a lot of things. It's up to you. Do you really want to talk about my experience at Breitbart? No, I don't want to. I really don't. But I want to understand the what where media is going. I want to understand the future of all this. Um, I I believe America is becoming much more democratic than our founders ever intended or ever prepared the country to be. And so I am trying to figure out how America can function as a democracy. Mm-hmm. Most people can be moderate, well informed critical thinking, and evidence-based. I do not know how that is the case, but I think it is the challenge ahead of us. And that means I will talk to anyone. Okay. And I think, and I think, the, I think the, the, the obligation of media is that they have to make sure that people are reading their stuff. Right now, we kind of have this phantom relay race where journalists think that just publishing information is sufficient. We have to track people down know that they are reading it, and know that they understand it. If they don't, we are failing. Okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm devil's advocate on this side, because I want to make sure, I want to make sure I understand this, because these are actually very, very important points, and these are some of the points that I try to bring up when I talk about media generally. 
Yes, I agree with that, but it's almost impossible at this scale, uh, a scale of a TechCrunch, a scale of a Breitbart, a scale of a CNN, to do that. And an editor basically says, just like, like shrugs and says, all right, let's just put out stuff that's, that people want to read that's interesting. And the assumption of what's interesting versus what, what the editor thinks is interesting versus what humanity thinks is interesting is the, the, the Venn diagram barely overlaps. There's, there's, there's one small sliver of overlap, and I think that's the Kardashians. Um, and <laughs> So entertaining. So how, oh, swift gifts. How do we do this? How do we move forward in, in terms of media? How do, we, how do we supply good stuff to everyone? Well, so if you want that, you're going to have to eat, you're going to have to interview me again in maybe three or four months. I'm currently working on a project. Um, suffice to say that it is going to, it's going to relate to paying readers to be informed. Paying readers. Paying readers. The other way in around. Fact, I did something like this at TechCrunch, um, although no one really noticed because I always did my own thing. Okay. So back when I was at TechCrunch, uh, the Knight Foundation gave us and a company called Reframe It. $160,000 to do something called deliberative polling, where you pay a representative sample of readers to learn about a subject. And you pay them to, to convene with other people who have different points of view and experts for about 10 or so hours. And we did it on the subject of immigration reform. Um, and the results were pretty good. And TechCrunch published this. Uh -huh. um, the question is how you do that at scale. Exactly. Uh, and that I'm working on. Uh, and hopefully I will have a project off the ground in a few months. All right. I would like to see this because this, this sounds fairly interesting. All right. So see, I, I see on the, I see the other side that the, that, that content needs to be paid for that way, that way I pay, I vote with my, I vote with my bitcoins or I vote with my whatever to get my piece of information. I don't think, I don't think a flood of information is doing anybody any good. There shouldn't be the, the only people who are reading my tweets and my Facebook at this point and my whatever eight years of, of doing this thing are robots. Anything past the last four tweets are essentially being used to advertise towards me. Right. So I would like to I would like a way to have people pay me for my for my work on online to, for whatever I'm doing and have sort of a has sort of wallet that just follows me. But um, but I think that's yeah. hard as well. I agree, but I think I think that fundamentally the media is failing. If you look at study after study after study, you see that newspapers do not inform people. That is, in experimental studies, when you give people a newspaper versus ones who don't have it, they find out that even if people are reading it, they're really not remembering what they read. And if they remember, if the few who do remember what they read don't change their opinion. The same has been done on fake news. If you get people to admit what they believed was demonstrably false, they still don't change their opinion on politics. So we have an existential crisis in the media. What we read, what, what we write isn't read and doesn't change opinions. And uh -huh. until we figure out how to do that, I'm not returning to journalism. Hmm. Okay. Do you think we have hope? Do you think we're going to make it? I don't think we have a choice but to try. Okay. I'll buy that. That's an interesting point. I would like to... I think that's. I think it's. It's valuable that it's valuable that you you are coming down as a non-journalist, even coming down on that on that position because that's exactly where we are. We're exact. We're in a position where, where there's so much content that we're able to skim it all. Like I have. I have a fairly, a fairly open grasp of 
the major news points for the day. And that's because I skim this stuff all day long and I've damaged my body and my mind to do it. Definitely. Uh, but, I, but, I, <laughs> but, but I remember, I remember distinctly when I first started out in journalism, when I was at, when I was at NYU, I didn't really have an understanding. I really didn't, I didn't really see everything that was going on. Uh, and now I feel like I do have that thing, but I think, I, I think it came at a great price. And I think the other issue is that we are all in a position now to, we're consuming more information and more media in a day than any of us consumed in a, I don't know, geez, a month or even of a lifetime in some cases, depending on where you lived. So there is no, there's no brain filter for us to manage here. There's no way to tell what's true or not. And we create these opinions primarily biologically uh, because of the things that we're afraid of or the things we do, we like. So it's a, so we're in a pickle. Yeah. Um, and it, it is, it had made, it, it made me a very sad panda uh -huh. when the media did not see the, the election of president Trump as a recall on them. I, I don't know media companies doing anything different since the election. If anything, they've doubled down on their approach, which seems to be only fueling the opposition. Uh -huh. Um, so like I said, I'm going to experiment with a few things and hopefully I'll have a bit to announce in a few months. But, you know, with the rise of the filter bubble and masses amount of information, we have not had a concurrent rise in an educated population and an incentive to read news and, and form critical opinions. And until that happens, I think the media is going to have less and less value. Okay. What replaces the media? I do not know. <laughs> it's just gonna be it's just gonna be me and you on a podcast and people just listen to us yeah you I mean but it's gonna be like in a like a dystopian apocalypse like we will be in the desert with like bernie man masks oh, bending yeah. readers with spears yeah we'd be <laughs> just sitting hey there everybody <laughs> welcome back to the uh to the world is dead podcast i'd like to share <laughs> some things we learned today it's a uh, someone discovered water. <laughs> the sun, the sun has gotten closer to the Earth and is now burning most of uh, most of the Amazon basin, and now <laughs> it's a little bit more on the Nintendo Switch. All right, well, perfect. Our sponsor. <laughs> so, so this is supposed to be an optimistic view, and I think you have opt you have given us. I think you've given us an optimistic view of the of the future, that news needs to change implicitly to achieve its goals, its stated goals, or perhaps, or perhaps its stated goals are over and some sort of new media is going to take over. And I'm, I'm, I'm fully willing to, to admit that, yes, potentially there is going to be a situation where we're no longer going to read long-form articles to learn about the world. We're going to have something injected into our brains uh, on a daily basis, like a, a, like a morning download, and we're just going to enjoy it. But we shall see. I hope it. I hope it tastes like mangoes. I hope. I hope it tastes like local strawberries or local blueberries. <laughs> Greg, thank you for joining us on Technotopia. I want. I'll, I'll bring you back on when you have your when you have your little project, and it's going to be. We're going to talk about your project then, right? Sure. All right. Thanks, Big Z. All right. This has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next.